This episode of the My Hockey Life podcast is brought to you by the Nolan Insurance Company. Since being founded in 1933 by James J. Nolan Sr., Nolan Insurance Company has been family-owned and operated by the Nolan family. Throughout our 85 years, our vision and mission has remained the same, to take care of our customers using a strong work ethic and family values to treat you, our customer, as a member of our Nolan Insurance family. Our experienced team can analyze your insurance needs and suggest the best options for your home and auto insurance, commercial insurance, and much more. As an independent agency, we have only your best interests in mind. You'll find our dedicated staff is friendly, knowledgeable, and ready to help at any of our three locations. The Nolan Insurance Company. Welcome back to the My Hockey Live podcast. My name is Brandon Hall. I'm pleased to be joined by Jake Levin. Boston Globe, NBC10 Boston, and MyHockeyLive.com just finished up a broadcast at BC High in Dorchester where the BC High Eagles took down the Framingham Flyers 2-1. to one. Uh, Jake, your rapid reaction to that game. You know, it, it, depending on whose rankings you read, whether it's our own here at MHL that Joey McDermott puts together or at the Boston Globe or the Boston Herald, uh, really, any uh, number of outlets, these were the top two teams in the state. BC High at one, Framingham at two. And the game lived up to that billing. Uh, BC High, despite all the talent, they either graduated or lost a transfer from last year. Still a force to be reckoned with. They outshot Framingham 42 to nine. And so this is where my big takeaway comes from. A, BC High got both of its goals off the power play. Their power play is actually a strength this year. I couldn't tell you the amount of times I would talk with John Flaherty after a game last year, the BC high coach, and he would joke, yeah, I wish we could just decline penalties. It was getting to be like the Thomas Caberlet Bruins back in 2011. They were just more effective at five-on-five. But this year, despite all that talent gone, they're more effective. And again, this is one game, small sample size, but they went two for two against a very good Framingham team with an unbelievable goalie in Jake Handy, who made 40 saves tonight for Framingham, about 38 of those at even strength. So there's only so much you can do if you're a goalie, if you're going to be man down and opportunities like that. Uh, you just hope the offense can figure it out. And the Flyers, you know, even though the shots on goal were what they were, 42 to 9, it's not as though the possession time was skewed quite as heavily in favor of BC High. Don't get me wrong. It was still probably about a 70 to 30 advantage in uh, time of possession for the Eagles, but it wasn't anything crazy like it was the shots on goal. So I guess my biggest takeaway is that Framingham, they are as advertised. They can play with any team in the state. They did already beat Pole Francis, lest we forget last year's other uh, Super 8 finalists. They own quality ties against Marshfield and Zavarian. Both winning both those games in overtime and shootout for tournament purposes at the good old MHL Cup. Uh, yeah, Framingham, I still think they're probably the best public in the state, and I'm going to maintain that stance until somebody proves to me otherwise. And you know, fortunately uh, for us hockey fans, we're going to know almost right away because they got Braintree on Saturday night. Yeah, you know, going back, the old coaching adage is that your goalie has to be your best penalty killer, and that's certainly the case with Handy and Framingham. Um, what does Will Ortiz sort of attribute to um, the goaltending situation in Framingham? Is it is it just pure skill of the goaltender? Do you think it's the defensive core? Uh, what's what's sort of his mindset there? 
think it's a combination of both. I mean, Handy is battle-tested. He took over the uh, full-time starting job last season, started almost every game for Framingham, if not every game. I wasn't at all 25 of their games. I may have missed one or two, but he uh, he was good enough to be an all-scholastic last year. And this year, again, very early, uh, he, he's on the short list of top, let's call it top five goalies in the state. Now, of course, no goalie is anything without a good defense in front of him. And Framingham has some very good ones. And Jared Schimmelman, Dom Leone, and Ryan Watton, they're all junior or older, uh, all three or four year varsity players. And of course, that helps when you have a core like that in Framingham despite the penalties they took tonight they're still a pretty disciplined team and they're uh, you know hopefully moving forward they're not going to put Handy in those kinds of situations and you know Handy there again there's only so much you can do on the PK against a team like BC High he built his team out plenty of times tonight I certainly would not pin either goal on him uh, he's he's as advertised and again so are the Flyers uh, Will Trasquita he actually gave Framingham, it was early, it was a 1-0 lead. I want to say it was 8-12 into the first. It was a very rare defensive miscue by the Eagles, and he just sort of jumped on it, split between two defenders. And Trusquita, he's one of the only guys in the state who has the breakaway speed to not get caught by a BC high defender, and that's what he did. He put the puck past. Jeez, uh, I'm trying to flake on the BC high goalie. We, better, we barely said his name tonight. He only had to make eight saves. Uh Oh, this is embarrassing. Nealon. Nealon was his last name. He's a junior from Hingham. I couldn't tell you his first name. But uh, Trisquita, remarkable um, what he was able to do. So, for him, they'll get back to the drawing board and two quick tests. Again, Braintree Saturday, St. John's Prep next week as well. So, we're going to know a lot more about the Flyers and uh, just how good they are really soon. And I don't think the results are going to be disappointing. Yeah, speaking of which, uh, another another high octane game that you covered um, yesterday was uh, Hanover and Norwell, uh, two teams going into the game at one one and one records. Uh, perennial Division Three powers, Perennial South Shore powers. What did you see down uh, down in the South Shore at the Bog? I, well, I'll tell you what's interesting going into this game, and I had no idea heading into the game. Uh, Johnny Abin was unable to make the game yesterday. Of course, he's you know his quote unquote real job. He's a detective in the Hanover Police Force. And, uh, you know, work, work beckoned him, unfortunately. And so uh, Hanover won that coach with the brain team of uh, Danny Daly and Jeff Ray behind the bench. And they, they coached an outstanding game for Hanover. Uh, it was 1-0 Indians early on a Christian Sacco goal. And they were really controlling the pace of play against Norwell. It was similar, in a sense, to the BC High Framingham start tonight, except Hanover actually got out to the 1-0 lead. And then two goals in the final 30 seconds of that first period. Uh, Nate Del Preet, wouldn't you know it, he would score 21 seconds into the second period, added on a fourth goal for good measure at about the 321 mark. Sacco scored one more. I was really never in doubt. So Hanover, you know, the names have changed. It's not Zach Taylor or Connor Morris or Lucas Lanigan anymore, although uh, Connor Morris's brother, Manning Morris, is still a factor. Uh, the Indians have continued to churn out uh, outstanding talent and uh, they're going to be a force to be reckoned with in Division Three South, uh, just like the year before and the year before that and the year before that. 
Yeah, and you know, two talented guys behind the bench too. Jeff Ray and, and Danny Daly have been there for. Oh, a they've lot. been they've been they've, there forever. Yeah, you know, they they, they can... have they have, and that th- those guys are hand in glove. Uh, th- the way that they work together, having you know coached with them and coached against them for many years, um, and and all three and Johnny included, just outstanding human beings. Um, so. You know, uh, I will pump their tires here on the podcast, and they'll, they'll get a laugh out of it, I'm sure, uh, because I got plenty of stories about the three of them. Um, but uh, it, looking at that game, I mean, Manning Morris has held off the scoreboard. Who would have thought in a uh, you know um, in a six-two final to not have uh, you know any Genos for for Manning Morris it was a little bit of a surprise. Um, you know, going back towards the holiday a little bit, and you know, unfortunately, skipping over the Stooges on New Year's Eve. But going, going directly to the tournament, the holiday tournaments that we saw across the state, which tournament opened your eyes the most? I think the Freddy's Classic. And obviously it meant more this year, given the unfortunate passing of Pete Freddy's after a hell of a battle against ALS. Uh, but the results, and this sort of ties into a couple of other games, is that BC High, while they did win the tournament, they did it in the championship game by tying St. John's Prep for tournament purposes before going on and getting the uh, the win in the shootout. I have that right, right? That's what happened up there? I believe that's correct, yeah. I think that's what happened. Oh, these all blend together. So anyways, this is the same St. John's Prep team that lost 9-1 to or 9-2, to whatever it was, to Hingham. And then St. John's Prep on New Year's Day, and granted it's at home, they beat Zavarian 3-0. So... Which St. John's prep team is which? Meanwhile, which Hingham team is which? And they were in a holiday tournament too. They beat this St. John's prep team nine to one, nine to two. Again, I forget if it was nine one or nine to two. Hingham scored nine goals. There's your headline. And then Hingham goes zero for two in the Sereno tournament against Malden Catholic, which hadn't won a game against a team from Massachusetts since 2018. So it, you talk about some Jekyll and Hyde performances, and that's to be expected in the early going this season. I know Hingham certainly after that big win against St. John's prep and then the two tough losses in the Sereno, they battled back. They had a nice win against Marshfield on New Year's Eve and Hingham graduated 14 seniors. So that is so what, right? That happens all the time. It's Hingham. Hingham graduated more than just 14 seniors. They graduated Jake Higgins, who as we know is going to be playing at Holy Cross. They graduated Will Kenny, who's a college lacrosse player at Denison. Certainly could have played college hockey if he wanted to. Jacob Clark is a very talented graduate of that group. I'm going to shortchange several guys on that Hingham roster, but this, that's how good that senior totally class loaded. was. Absolutely loaded. Maybe the best senior class in the state, um, you know, outside of maybe a BC high, right? Um, yeah, and maybe uh, maybe Pope Francis, given what what we're seeing right now from them early on in the season. Uh, sure, you know, and another game that you know was not tied to a tournament necessarily, but a, you know, three days ago um, was that Duxbury versus Canton game, and Canton hasn't lost a game in what thirty one contests. They have, you know, they're they're unbeaten in thirty one contests, and Duxbury puts a good scare into them. It was three one after two, uh, and then uh, they're they're up three one after two minutes, uh, two periods. 13 minutes and 50 seconds. It was then Chris Lavoie, the Canton winger, flung it in from the blue line, and uh, that wound up getting the Bulldogs within a goal. And then Johnny Hagen, who else, uh, ties it up with, I, I believe it was 10 seconds left, right. drawing a blank here. Yep. So, I, you know, did Duxbury deserve to win that game? Sure, you could say that, but that's Canton. You have to play the full 
uh, 45 minutes against them or they are going to – it's just incredible. And so, you know, take away from the game the result if you want. Three to three, great tie for Canton, still not a bad tie for Duxbury. I love that that game was played in the first place because Duxbury, as we know, Division One team. Canton, as we know, Division Two team. And a lot of Division One teams are, I don't know if afraid is the right word, but they're reluctant, shall we say, to play Canton because in the eyes of the Super 8 committee, a tie, or even worse, a loss against Division Two Canton won't look good. But that's just not, it's not really, it's not being genuine to hold a loss or a tie, in the case of Duxbury, against a team like Canton because... You know, in my opinion, they were one of the best 10 teams in the state last year, and they got shortchanged by the Super 8 committee, whatever. That's neither here nor there. I think they're still right on track to be in the state's elite again this year. And not only did they, were they able to schedule Duxbury, they scheduled another perennial Division One power in Braintree. That game's not going to be until uh, much later in the season. also want to give additional kudos to Braintree. They scheduled Lincoln-Sudbury, another very good Division two team. So you talk about is it a great division two team? They, they they should be division one, whatever. It's still uh kudos to Dave Fasano and Duxbury, who I also uh Dave Fasano Braintree, I should say, who I ran into tonight. Uh he was doing some scouting uh for his game against Framingham on Saturday. So I love to see matchups like that. I love to see Marshfield Hanover earlier on in the season, and I know that's part of this um I guess abbreviated Patriot League schedule. Marshfield's now playing, but that's a 3-3 tie. And again, if Marshfield is in Super 8 contention down the road here, I really hope the committee doesn't hold a 3-3 tie to hand over against them because as you and I and anybody else who actually watches these games knows, Hanover can compete with just about any team in Division 1. I mean, they beat Duxbury last year, and Duxbury won the Division 1 state title. Yeah, and you know, you look at the Canton and Duxbury game there, and that's an easy one. John Blake lives in uh, lives you know, in lives in Canton. Course, this is right. the yeah, other. Yeah, the yeah. Other that's a, you know, Brian Schumann and, and and John Blake see each other a ton at the Canton Ice House because John coaches uh, Canton youth hockey with his kids, and he's the Duxbury head coach. And that that matchup becomes an easy one, right? That's a that's an easy one off to have every single year, and you switch switch the venue, and you, you have one game, and and it's it's a nice game because Canton is a powerhouse. Duxbury is a powerhouse. Let's see who's got it this year. Is it the Division Two team or is it the Division One team? And you know, we get a tie here uh, amongst two teams that, at the end, you know, in March when we get to St. Patrick's Day, we could be looking at both of them in the Garden again. Yeah, it wouldn't it wouldn't stun me in the slightest. I mean, we just mentioned Hingham that graduated fourteen seniors. Duxbury only graduated four. You know, looking at their roster, and obviously Jack Venerelli was among the seniors that graduated. You look up and down that roster, though, and I'm like, hey, Blake, did you give us an old roster from last year? Uh, this is the same thing. And that's really what it is. You got Steve Pisani back in goal. You got Fred Weiler. You got uh, oh, Zach Stewart. Yeah, you got Zach Stewart. You got um, the defenseman. Uh, I'm drawing a blank on the kid's last name. It's uh, Demio, Nick Demio. He's having a brain fart. Well, he's here. been, he's another one who's been, we, we've been saying his name forever. I feel like, you know, in the Green Cup games, we've been saying those names for 10 years. Yeah. You know, you got Drake Hadley back. You've got no shortage of talent back on that Duxbury team. And I know some of these other names are escaping me. You just got to take my word. It's almost an identical roster uh, to last season. So, in the Dragons, we know all about their 
great non-league schedule in addition to this Canton game that they went and added. Uh, we'll see them in Falmouth at the Buddy Frere Classic in about a month and a half. Yeah, let, let's head up north and talk a little bit about Arlington. Arlington's got you know, some of their top firepower back. Do you see the Spy Ponders you know, heading back into the Super 8 again this year? I think anything less would be a massive disappointment. I, I, I'm, I'm just guessing here. I haven't talked to him, but I think John Missouri, the coach, would be the first to tell you that. This team is built to not only win a state championship, it's built to win a Super 8 title, I think, when you have the lone Division One hockey commit in Massachusetts and, you know, his son, Anthony Missouri. You have that kind of front-end talent with other guys around him. I know Brendan Jones is a guy we've mentioned on the podcast before. They're designed, they're built to beat everyone in front of them. And we're going to, you know, we talk about a team that plays a great non-league schedule in addition to the rigorous Middlesex League. Uh, we got Arlington Hingham that'll be coming up on My Hockey Live soon enough. So, yeah, I, I think Arlington, yeah, they, they should be a Super 8 team. And if, if for some reason something happened and they weren't in the Super 8, I think they'd be the favorite to win the Division 1. And, you know, a state title is a state title. I don't think it really matters where it is. But yeah, Arlington's certainly good enough to win the Super 8 this year. Is Central Catholic at 4-1-1 one and one and a win over Pope Francis back? I don't see why not when you already match your season total in wins from last year. And I mean, hands up, I haven't seen Central Catholic play yet. I know uh, with the coaching change up there, DJ Conti has got them doing some great things. And it's not going to surprise me if we see Central Catholic back on the short list of teams that should contend for a Super 8 berth after an absence uh, last year. Uh, moving down to Division 2, um, looking at the North, uh, you know, it's the, it's the same old, same old at the top. It's Lincoln, Sudbury, and Boston Latin. Um, but we've also got Marblehead and North Andover up there, too. Well, North Andover, you know, I, I got to be honest, I don't know a ton about the hockey program. I know as an athletic department, though, it's an outstanding football program, won a Super Bowl two seasons ago now over King Philip. I know it's an incredible baseball program. They had Sebastian Keene get drafted by the Red Sox, ultimately signed with Northeastern, but, uh, you know, nevertheless, uh, an outstanding lacrosse program that plays their Division II in lacrosse, but they'll go play anybody. So knowing all of that, it doesn't surprise me at all that their hockey program is on solid footing as well. And, uh, yeah, I think they should be on a short list of Division II North contenders. And then moving to Division Three, um, and, and jumping back down south again, um, you've got the top three teams here, according to the Boston Herald anyway. Hopkinton is 4-0, Dartmouth 5-0, St. John Paul 8-0 already. Oh, Hopkinton, battle-tested. Uh, they've right. got a nice win for Chris McPherson, uh, win number 100 in the season opener. Unfortunately for him, he couldn't get it at the TD Garden last year, but you got to think uh, Hopkinton is on a short list of teams. It's going to have a chance to uh, get back to that level this year. Um, definitely love uh, Dartmouth's start as well, playing an independent schedule now uh, as the Southeastern Conference yet to fully form. Uh, you know, Mike Capello's always got good things happening with them. So, yeah, I think uh, those are a couple teams that will be uh, – 
you know, right up there with Hanover in the and, Division Three South tournament. Yeah, and speaking of former Red Sox prospects, uh, Brian Rose on the staff down that, there. That's right. That's right. God, Brian Rose. He was. Uh, yeah, I mean, you, you know, that was a funny one. We played, we played um, Dartmouth in the tournament in two thousand. Uh, please, please forgive me here for forgetting the year, but it was, you know, it was somewhere in the neighborhood of like two thousand thirteen. So. You know, it's in the second round. We're at the bog, um, which felt like a home game for us. It was supposed to be a neutral right. site, and Dartmouth has to come up to us. So, you know, we we look at you know we look at the matchup and everything else, and we're going through all the paperwork. And I go, hey, what Brian Rose, <laughs> Brian Rose is on this staff. This is incredible, right? So, you know, we go, we go through the process of the game, and we win. You know, something it was something like four nothing or four to one. It was a really good game, and they had a really short bench. And I think I've mentioned this on another podcast, but. Um, you know, they had a really short bench and, and they had a ton of talent, uh, a really quirky goaltender who liked to come out and really challenge pucks um, to the point where at the faceoffs on the faceoffs in their zone, he'd be almost lined up like a third defenseman on on the circle. Um, he'd be that far out. So we had a set play on faceoffs uh, where our center would draw it um, diagonally across the zone and we'd stack our wings in the slot. Uh, and we scored right off a face-off with almost no time left on the clock in the second period. Um, and, and I'll never forget, Connor Smith won the face-off um, right to Matt Koch, and Matt literally just just changed the angle of his blade and tipped it in. He had so much net to shoot at because of the way the goaltender was set up. But it was fun to kind of, you know, have this athletic experience in a tournament game like that, but then have, like, you know, here's this guy who used to play for the Red Sox who's on the other bench. It was um, it was really weird. And then, uh, it, you know, to kind of tie the whole thing together, um, you, you know, you know, my, my relationship with my friend, Sean Silver, who works, of for course. The, who works for the sports hub. He wrote this really great, um, oral history of the 99 Red Sox. And Brian, oh, how awesome was that? It was, it was great. And Brian Rose was on that team and, and, you know, Sean's going around trying to find players to talk to. And I said, Hey, Brian Rose is in Dartmouth. You should just talk to him. And, and he actually was able to contact him, I think, through the athletic department to get an interview with him. Um, so th- it was a lot of fun being able to kind of make that sort of full circle moment here. But uh, enough of my rambling. Um, you're the one who actually knows things here. Uh, the, my, Allegedly. <laughs> my big surprise in the South right now is Martha's Vineyard at 5-1-1. One, one. Well, Martha's Vineyard earned a 5-2 win over Hanover on December 21st. And so this uh, ties back in that Hanover game I covered the other day. They hadn't played. The Indians hadn't played since losing on the Island. And you got to remember, these are kids. They're not robots and, you know, travel. You got to, you got to take a bus down to the ferry and then you take the ferry over. Then you take a bus from the ferry to the rink. That's a long day. It's a long, it's a really long, miserable day having done it. Yeah. No matter how exciting it may be. And so I didn't realize this. Hanover actually had a 2-0 lead in that game. I was talking with Fred Carbone yesterday, friend of the program. He was up at the bog uh, just doing a little scouting, checking out the Division Three ranks. And he told me Hanover was up 2-0. And I'm like, wow. Because that score, you know, surprised, surprised everybody when we saw it. And uh, so kudos to Martha's Vineyard. You know, I don't care how. I just care how many. Uh, earning a win. Like that over Hanover, not that there's any committee to impress. You know, they're, they're going to be in the Division Two South Tournament. But uh, that, that was very impressive, very eye-opening. I'd love to get down to the island and uh, 
maybe see them take on Nantucket, for example. Yeah, you know, from what I understand, the Nantucket game is an incredible game. It's like the entire island turns out for it. I know uh, Pembroke has gone over there for a tournament game to Nantucket. You know, it, it's tough to take the boat over for a game in any game, and th- but then to have to do it for a tournament game, um, you know, you're packing up everything. You're packing up your entire team, your trainer, all of that stuff. You're taking a bus down to the ferry. And then you're taking the ferry across. You're talking an hour from, at least from Pembroke, an hour to Woods Hole, and then another hour plus on the ferry, and then, you know, 20 minutes or so to the rink. You're looking at two and a half, three hours of travel when you add it all together before you even before you even drop the puck. The, it, that wears on people. It wears on the coaches mentally. It wears on the kids. The kids are all jazzed up because they're on the boat. And how do you keep that energy level up? And then, God forbid, if the weather's bad, you're dealing with, um, you know, kids getting seasick or something on the on the ferry so uh well well, hey just wait till the statewide tournament kicks in and nantucket is hosting say mount everett out in the very uh bottom left hand (laughs) corner of massachusetts in a uh home tournament game that'd be a six hour commute well you uh, you know that will go out to we go out to what we do in golf is uh you know when we have the sectionals the sectionals are obviously in your in your area but then when you have the state championship it rotates uh, where the state championship is every year, that it's in a different section. And when it's out west or when it's in the central, um, or depending upon how far north it is, if we're going, we're staying overnight ahead of time. Um, yeah, you know, I know uh, Brennan Connolly, friend of the program of the Boston Herald, he went all the way out to uh, Taconic, mm-hmm. which is, it's in Pittsfield. Yeah, it's for the Division uh, Two championship yeah, this year. Yep. He was doing the, the Division, I think it was Division Two golf yep, it championships was, yeah. out there. Maybe it was Williamstown, but it was about as far west as you could get. So that's, uh, yeah, I, I can't imagine actually playing in a tournament in that scenario. No, you know, we had, we had, in. yeah, we had high hopes this year, making it to there. We, we didn't finish as high in the sectional as we thought we would, but, uh, to go out to Taconic, but years back, you know, going back like 10 years, we had to take the bus all the way to great Barrington, oh, wow. uh, uh, to play out there. And that was a three hour bus ride. And we're on the big yellow school bus too. So this is overnight, you know, out in great Barrington. And then, after the tournament, you know, it ends at 3, 4 in the afternoon. We're driving three hours plus back uh, to get to the South Shore. But anyway, um, just uh, to touch real quick on this, Bruins lose yet again tonight um, in, overti- were, in overtime. It, it, was, it was tied when we started this recording. What happened? So the Bruins were up one nothing. Then they then it was tied by Columbus. Now Columbus had a goal that was called back 17 seconds into the game. The Bruins actually won a challenge on goaltender interference, uh, it, but they lose tonight in overtime. Um, I believe that was their ninth overtime loss at home this season. Uh, the power play looks lights out. They've scored nine straight games. The last podcast I said the power play was concerning to me. The power play is not concerning to me. Tuka Rask was not concerning to me. Right now, they're not getting secondary scoring, and that's kind of been their their Achilles heel for the last couple of years. And it was certainly their Achilles heel in Game 7 of the Stanley Cup last year. That worries me. Right. Uh, you know, better to get these kinks out of their system now in January. Uh, this is the benefit of that ridiculous winning streak they had a couple weeks ago that they've, they've bought themselves a little bit of wiggle room so that they, they certainly don't have to worry about falling out of the playoffs and famous last words here, but I think they, they're even at the point, they don't have to worry about falling out of home ice and well, we saw what home ice did for them last year. So who really cares? 
But, you know, at least in that opening round, it can be nice when you got Toronto coming in here. They don't know how to win a game seven on the road if they ever will. So it's better to get these kinks out of your system now than in March or April when, you know, those kinks started to arise in 2015 and 2016 and they missed the playoffs. So it better now, but still uh, they got to figure out this overtime thing. Yeah, and, and you know, I think when it comes down to playoff time, it goes back to a five-on-five overtime, and I'm not sure True. if I, – I don't know if, it, if their secondary scoring issues really crop up, if that's the reason why they're losing these overtime games because they put out a line of, say, like a Bergeron and Marchand, and then they got Pasternak and Krejci, and then because it's three-on-three, three, those guys are gassed. Who, who's next? You know, it's Coyle and Corrali, is it? You know, you start reaching for names. Is the mayor of Walpole going out there? I, I don't – you know, you look at some of the, the, the faces that you put out in that third group, and it's kind of, you know, it doesn't concern me on the back end because you've got Krug and you've got Grizzlick and you've got McAvoy. I, I, I'm kind of at a loss. I, I think it's the secondary scoring. They, they've got to make a move for uh, Kyle Palmieri or, uh, you know, um, Tyler Toffoli or – you know, the, the typical Bruins grit and balls kind of winger that can skate with Krejci. Well, in Don, we trust, right? Yeah, yeah, no question about that. Um, and they've got, the, they've got the ability to make moves. Uh, they'll have to clear some salary, though, of course. Jake, a pleasure as always. Brandon, as always, my man, uh, we will talk uh, very soon. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we've got, what do we got coming up on MHL this week? Uh, we got Zavarian Needham on Saturday at 4. We got Hingham Braintree on Monday at 6. And we have uh, St. John Shrewsbury against Shrewsbury High. That'll be a fun one on Monday. That is at 8 o'clock out in uh, Westboro, Mass. And then, I know, starting on Wednesday, we have a full schedule again. But uh, first things first. Yeah, we've had an incredible slate of games early on this season, and it only gets better as things go on. Uh, For sure. Yeah, anything to plug, Jake? That's it. That's all I got for now. All right. Find him on Twitter at Jake T. Levin now. Um, Jake T. Levin, we got to get that blue check mark for you. It's one of these days. <laughs> all right. Uh, Jake, thank you as always. This is the My Hockey Live podcast, and we'll talk to you next week.